Exodus chapter 4. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it to the ground. And he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Well, friends, we're looking tonight at this uh, fourth chapter uh, in the book of Exodus, and my title for this evening's message is uh, simply Shrinking uh, from Service. Shrinking from Service. Well, we ended our study last week at the end of chapter 3, but the dialogue between God and Moses hadn't, en- hadn't come to an end. We left it really halfway, and so we just want to pick it up again this evening. And uh, i just reiterate a couple of things which were mentioned uh, last week. God has met with Moses, and the, there he was, that shepherd, looking after the sheep in the backside of the wilderness, a deserted place, a lonely place, there on his own, with, just with the sheep, as, as God so often does. He called his servant uh, uh, to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. The Son of God, uh, in that pre-incarnate form, appeared uh, to uh, uh, Moses in the burning bush, called him uh, to service, and commissioned him to go to Pharaoh and to lead uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt. A tremendous amount of people, two million people, he's called to lead out of Egypt. Well, you know, uh, he's, he's called also uh, to be a prophet uh, of the people, as, as we'll see in due time. But uh, you remember Isaiah, we go down a few more years, and Isaiah, and the Lord called him, and the Lord more or less said, who will go for us? He immediately replied, here am I, send me. Such was Isaiah's response. Moses is not quite so immediate. Moses is putting up a a little bit of hesitation here. He's putting up a few objections. There seems to be some reluctance with him to take up uh, this call of God. Uh, It's it's a daunting task, no doubt. And he, he, in a sense, we could say, shrank from taking it up. And he mentions objection after objection. It all began really last, uh, in the last chapter, chapter 3 and verse 11. We see his first objection. He mentions, uh, who am I uh, that uh, I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm so small, Lord. What can I do? And uh, the Lord reassured him, well, I'm with you. I'm with you, Moses. You don't need to be afraid. And then his second objection was, well, I'll have to go to the elders of the people, the leaders, but in whose authority shall I go? In whose name? They'll ask me uh, the name of, uh, of, the, uh, of the one who has sent you. And what shall I say? And he, you remember, uh, he's, the Lord said, I am, had sent me. Had, that's who you are to, uh, verse 14 of chapter 3. I am, had sent me uh, unto you. And now here in chapter 4 and verse 1, but Moses is raising yet another uh, objection, another, maybe perhaps you could say even an excuse. 
And he says, uh, Moses answered the Lord and said, But behold, they will not believe me, the elders of Israel, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. It's actually a contradiction of what the Lord had said. The Lord had said already in uh, uh, verse uh, 18 of chapter 3, They will hearken to your voice. They will listen to what you have to say. And now Moses is saying, so soon after, they won't hearken to what I, what I say uh, to them. Now, we don't want to jump very quickly on Moses, and it would be easy to criticize him and to uh, you know, for, come down harshly uh, upon the, the man. But we remember once again, the size of the task really was immense and was a huge uh, requirement on his part, a huge responsibility. Imagine you are asked, to lead two million people all out of a sudden. It's hard enough leading 50 or a hundred people, but to lead two million people out of bondage. And then you have to go uh, to the most powerful man on the planet at the time, and you have to demand from him that he let those two million slaves of, of his, that workforce of his, to go. And well, it's a hard thing for him to do. Besides, Moses himself, well, now he's just a plain man, you could say. Now he's lost his status. He's just an ordinary man. He's only a shepherd man. He's been looking after sheep for 40 years. He's had very little contact uh, with Egypt and with the political world of Egypt. Uh, how could he go out against the king of Egypt with all his royalty and his grandeur and that mighty army that he had uh, before him and demand that this most powerful man listen to him, this shepherd man. Well, it was a, a daunting task for him. And so, no doubt, in a, a natural way, there is uh, hesitancy on Moses' part. And we could say, really, friends, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that he felt uh, hesitant, even though the Lord had told him to go. He has a sense of his own insufficiency. Lord, I, I, it's such a huge task. I, I'm not up for it, Lord. And he feels it. Uh, there's no self-confidence there. There's no strutting, well, I can do it. Yeah, yes, Lord, I, I, I'm, up for, I'm up for the task. There's nothing like that there. He's, uh, he knows that uh, he is uh, weak in himself. Uh, not in a way, I think, that it's just going to be paralyzing to him, but he just feels... Uh, his insufficiency, just like Paul, isn't it? Paul with that great task as well of taking the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. Well, that was a daunting task. That was a dangerous task for him. He never went in any self-confident way either. His, 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 his uh, own confession is, where well, we are insufficient for these things. Uh, but our sufficiency is of God. That's what he said. And you know what all the things that he went through. Well, it's also a good way for those who are young pastors entering the ministry to also think like this, not to think in a, a proud way and think, well, uh, we can manage this, but to feel, well, this is a big task the Lord has given me, to lead the Lord's people, uh, to look after God's sheep, to feed them week in and week out, to help them in their spiritual lives. Well, uh, this is a task. I don't feel sufficient for it. But then the Lord, we know, uh, comes along and, and, and encourages us and says, well, depend on me. And that's what 
uh, uh, young pastors uh, are to do, to feel their insufficiency, uh, not to a, a way which paralyzes them, but in the sense that they feel their dependence upon God. Well, 40 years had passed since Moses, as we said, was last in Egypt. The Hebrews had not received him then. You remember how he tried so hard uh, because he thought he was meant to be uh, the, the leader uh, of uh, Israel, and he was. But the Hebrew people didn't recognize him. They rejected him. They didn't recognize him as the leader. How much more, how much less would they re accept him now after 40 years had passed? Then he was a prince. Then he was in power. Then he was in line to the throne of Pharaoh. Then he was, had that great possibility to be the next Pharaoh. So maybe they were more likely to listen to him now. But look at him now. <laughs> look at him now in his, his uh, shabby clothes, probably very simple clothes. And uh, now after 40 years, the, sim the simple man, uh, will they listen to him? Uh, no ordinary, uh, no apparent rather might and power behind him like he had before. So no wonder he, he felt, they will not believe me, nor hearken uh, to uh, my voice. Well, the Lord responds to this objection of Moses by uh, giving him three signs. And he, sa he says, here are three signs you can take and you can use, and you can do, perform these signs before the children of Israel to convince them that I have sent you. Uh, these signs... Well, they would act as a confirmation to the, uh, the elders. Listen to Moses. He is my messenger. And listen and accept the message uh, that uh, he speaks. Well, how do we know, friends, that Christ uh, is who he says he is? Those great claims that we, he makes in the, in the, that we read in the Gospels, how do we know that he is from God? How, why should we listen uh, to what he teaches us. Well, the miracles he performed, friends, the miracles authenticated the messenger and the message. And Christ did thousands of miracles. We have a sample of them uh, here in the Gospels. But they authenticated uh, him, uh, just as these miracles here would authenticate also Moses and the messenger uh, and the message. How do we know the, early, uh, the apostles in the early church were inspired of God? How can we trust uh, those epistles that they've written, that they really are the word of God, given, come from God, given directly by God to them? Well, because of the miracles that the apostles did. We don't do miracles today, but they did. And the purpose that they did it was because God was authenticating those apostles and saying, these are my messengers. I communicate, as it were, through them. Listen to them. The miracles uh, were, uh, had that uh, purpose uh, to it. And same here with these. Well, just look, look briefly at these uh, signs. The first one uh, was to do with this uh, serpent. Verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And the Lord said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it uh, on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it, as one would normally, one would usually do, uh, when a, a serpent's close by. And uh, that lifeless form of the rod 
the shepherd's crook which he had in his hand uh, became a living thing. And then, verse 4, the Lord said unto, unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. And the Lord said, uh, this is the sign that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. Well, this was a miracle for him to show to those elders. But what is the meaning uh, behind it? Well, I think it's something along these lines, friends. The serpent, uh, possibly a, a mo or most likely a, a cobra, was to the Egyptians a symbol of royal and divine power. Uh, the, the pharaoh, uh, all the pharaohs, from what I understand, on their crown, on their diadem, they had the symbol of a snake. So what the Lord here is saying is that from such a great power uh, as Egypt, naturally one would flee, as Moses had done. One would, uh, uh, would uh, try and escape from, from the power of, of Egypt, uh, but uh, it would do Moses no harm. Just as that serpent did Moses no harm, so also uh, Egypt, with all its might and its power behind it, would be powerless against Moses because the Lord was with him. It would be powerless to hurt him. The serpent disappears, but Moses remains. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? The serpent disappears, but Moses remains. God's servants, friends, well, they are more than a match for all the evil powers that are arrayed against us. All those powers of the world that are arrayed against the church and against his people, well, they will do us no harm because uh, we are the lords. The king uh, of this world, well, he fights the God of this world. He fights against the church, but he won't prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The Lord will continue uh, to build it. The second sign uh, demonstrates the Lord's power uh, to smite and to heal. Verse 6, the Lord said, Furthermore, put forth now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was, as lep was leprous as snow. That white disease, they called it. A horrible and uh, destructive and dreadful disease and unfortunately also quite a common disease but uh, that's what happened to Moses' hand when he put it into his bosom and then the Lord said put thine hand into thy bosom again and he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom and behold it was immediately <coughs> turned again as his other flesh an instantaneous cure what's this? What's this mean? Well, uh, what, what it's, it's, it's saying is that God, by Moses, is going to smite uh, Egypt uh, with terrible plague, just as uh, he did here. The, 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 the leprosy representing a plague. So God was going to smite Egypt with those uh, terrible plagues by Moses. And by Moses, he was also going to uh, remove the plagues. That's in a sense, the power that's been given uh, to Moses. Moses is actually the first person recorded in Scripture who has been empowered, given the power to do miracles uh, that we read of. Verse 8 and 9, 
uh, gives us a record uh, of uh, the third uh, sign. It shall come to pass if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, then they will believe the voice of the latter sign, and it shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto your voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. That's a reference really to the first of the ten plagues that we'll look at uh, in due time. But the river Nile uh, was really a, like a god to the Egyptians because it was the source of all their life and their prosperity. Basically, they built all their cities uh, close to the river, and so they were, they were, it was like a deity to them. But here it being turned into blood by God, as it would be, well, the source of life became a source of death to them. And that would be a sign uh, to the Egyptians as well as to the Israelites that God had commissioned Moses. Well, we'll come on to that in, in, uh, in due time. But moving on in verse 10, we have Moses' fourth objection. And here it's, he's objecting to his calling. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since hast thou spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. I'm not eloquent, Lord. He's saying I would never have been eloquent, and not now and not before. Lord, I'm not a man of words. Uh, I'm, that short literal translation would be, I'm heavy in mouth and I'm heavy in tongue. I'm not fluent, Lord. Well, some of us feel we can identify with what he's saying. Uh, in effect, what he's saying is, I can't speak, Lord, in a Pharaoh's court. I can't, I'm not up to that level where I can communicate in such a fluent and a way as to communicate with those who are so uh, able and capable and uh, are orators in this court. And the ones who get things done in Pharaoh's court are the orators. And I can't, I haven't got that, Lord, is saying. Well, is it true? Is this true what he's saying? Or is he just being timid on Moses' part? We, we mentioned before what Stephen said about uh, Moses in his speech in Acts 7, uh, verse 22, that he was mighty in word and, de and in deeds. Well, how can we reconcile that with what uh, Moses is here saying about himself, that he is slow in speech. Well, we have to take Moses' words uh, as true. And uh, possibly there was some impediment uh, in his speech. But uh, in what sense, uh, we could ask, in what sense was he then considered to be mighty in words? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's in writing. It's in his writing skills. The first five books are written by Moses. And they're brilliantly written and well-written and um, and uh, uh, easy, in a sense, uh, to read in this, uh, in in our, in our English. By the way, incidentally, have to put in the word for William Tyndale here and the great translation that he has done of these things to make it so readable uh, for us uh, to, in our English language. But the writing originally, of course, was by Moses. So even though in speech he may not have been eloquent and as articulate as he desired to be. Yet in words, uh, he certainly uh, was in writing. 
Same may be said of the, it was said of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10, uh, it was said of him by the Corinthians, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his speech is contemptible. He's not an orator, they said about Paul. Oh, uh, and maybe there was some truth in that. He's not like Apollos. Apollos was eloquent. Apollos could, could uh, captivate the crowds in a wonderful way. But maybe Paul wasn't such a, as great a communicator as him. Well, the Lord says here, verse 11, uh, I will make up basically for your adver uh, inadequacies. Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thy, thou shalt say. I will make up for your weaknesses in speech. I will help you again. Uh, overcome these things, I will give you fluency. Uh, that's even promised to him. Well, friends, how about us? <laughs> Do we balk at witnessing? I can't witness. I'm not eloquent to witness. I can't engage in telling other people about the Lord. Oh, I, need, I need to improve maybe my, my conversational skills and my speaking skills. I need maybe to learn more about the Bible and then I will be able to tell others, speak to others on the streets or people who come across my way. Uh, I, I knew a young man, a very fervent young man, a believer, and a very nice young man and uh, very keen to follow the Lord. And we were talking one day about this subject of witnessing and uh, he said, I want to study apologetics. Before I start witnessing, I, I want to get into apologetics because, you know, I want to know how to answer uh, those people I meet with in the streets. Well, there's a good aim, but you could be spending your whole life uh, studying apologetics before you actually get going and doing anything. And uh, uh, he, this, was, this was his uh, idea of, of preparation. Besides, the people uh, most of us know, I think, when you go out in the streets, most of the people you meet on the streets, they don't talk about apologetics. They don't know as much about evolution, I think, as, as, uh, as the next person, the person next to them. You know, they, they're very simple people like ourselves. And uh, we can talk to them and we can witness to them. At the very least, we can tell them our testimony and tell them something about the Lord uh, that we know, that they don't know. Very simple things. We don't have to go into great detail. And if we don't know, well, there's an area for us to develop and to prepare for, uh, for the next time. But the Lord will help us in our speech, even, on, even there, in our, whether it's in private or together with the church witness, the Lord will come to our aid. Well, Moses is still not persuaded, and he comes up with a fifth suggestion, which is quite startling in a sense. In, uh, here in verse 13, he says, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him, whom thou will send. It may not be so clear what he's saying here, but basically what he's saying is, send anyone but me. Lord, anyone else, not me. That's what he's saying. And the answer that he gave, well, that was provoking to the Lord. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Mo Moses because of what he said. Well, friends, once again, are we like Moses in this aspect? The Lord calls us to serve him to do something for him, to take up some task, maybe in the church, maybe to help in the, the Sunday school, 
Maybe to put our name down for the church cleaning rota, or to get involved in the, the church witness and say, not me, Lord, not me. Somebody else can do it, not me. Well, will our Savior, who loves us and will always love us, will he be angry with us? Because we, after perpetually asking us, or continually asking us, we perpetually refuse to be active for him, and will we get going if, uh, if we're not doing anything for him? Not me, Lord, somebody else. Well, to encourage Moses, Aaron is provided as to be a helper uh, with him. And verse 14, we see this. I, uh, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. He was eloquent. Also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he sees thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. And then verse 16, uh, he shall be thy sp spokesman unto the people. And he shall be even, uh, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. And so uh, here uh, uh, Moses is going to be the one who receives the word directly from God. And he's going to pass that message on to Aaron. And Aaron is going to uh, announce it and pronounce it uh, to Pharaoh and to the elders, even in Israel. Well, verse 17, thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do this, the signs. And then verse 18, uh, Moses returns to his father-in-law Jethro and says to him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. He doesn't reveal his mission to Jethro. Perhaps he's conscious that uh, Jethro will oppose uh, him returning uh, to such a dangerous uh, task and taking the family with him. Uh, verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, again, this is an encouragement for Moses, return to Egypt for all the men which are dead, are dead which sought uh, thy life. And then... Verse 20, Moses took his wife and his sons. Uh, that's all he had. <laughs> Very simple man, isn't it? Uh, and uh, set them upon an ass, and he returned uh, to the land of Egypt with a few belongings that he had. And Moses took the rod of God uh, in his hand. And then uh, we see here uh, fresh instructions are given uh, to Moses. When the Lord said to Moses, when you go... When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. It seems that the Lord has already told him about the plan, the way things are going to progress. And he is given a for, a, a knowledge beforehand uh, about the wonders that he is to perform, so that he won't get discouraged when after the second time and the third time that Pharaoh is refusing to let the people go, Moses will not get uh, overwhelmed and discouraged by such a situation, but will know uh, how things were meant to pan out. But look at this. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. Well, friends, there are a number of uh, believers, tender believers, who have a problem with this uh, phrase, I will harden his heart. How could God do that, they say? 
How could God harden somebody's heart? Doesn't he want all people to repent and come to salvation? Well, that's, he, he wills that, yes. But uh, in answer to the question, how could God harden uh, Pharaoh's heart? Uh, we would say that this hardening of Pharaoh's heart, it began with Pharaoh himself, really. He is the one, you could say, who started it. We don't have much time to talk about it in depth, but uh, just to say these things. The word came to him repeatedly from the Lord. Let my people go. In a very reasonable way first. Three days only it was, it was said. before He wasn't told uh, forever initially. But he refused even that reasonable request that was given to him. And he refused adamantly each time Moses came and said, let the people go. And then he saw miracle after miracle after miracle in front of his eyes to persuade him this is of God this is God's messenger and again he still hardens uh, his own uh, heart he refuses to let the people of God go of the 20 texts uh, that, are, that refer to Pharaoh's hardening 10 are ascribed to Pharaoh himself 10 is Pharaoh hardening his own heart and 10 uh, refer to God so friends, this hardening was uh, a, a, a judgment. It shows that Pharaoh himself was ripe for judgment because of his refusal to accept the, the, the offer, the word of God that was continually uh, offered to him. And can we not say that God has a right to do as he pleases? Should we tell God what he should do and shouldn't do if he chooses to harden a person's heart? But he does he does the act in judgment. Here is an act of judgment on, on God's part. The time was ripe for Pharaoh to be judged. And so the Lord also, yes, we can say, hardened a Pharaoh's heart. It was a judicial act, an act of judgment. Same could be said about Israel. Israel also repeated words from the Lord, repeated miracles presented before them. And what does, what does the Paul say about them? Blindness has happened to them, in part. That blindness, again, judicial uh, blindness. Well, verse uh, 22, uh, the Lord, Thou shalt say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So uh, this act of hardening uh, Pharaoh's heart was something that was of God. But then, in verse 24, we have a, a rather alarming incident because we read about the Lord wanting to kill uh, Moses as he passed by the way in the inn. And uh, the, the reason why the Lord sought to kill him, and I just praise this basically, is, is because he uh, had not circumcised uh, his second son. Uh, we don't know for sure. Uh, uh, how the Lord wanted uh, to kill him. Uh, perhaps Moses, it's suggested by commentators, was stricken with a, a very serious illness which uh, incapacitated him. But the family, the husband and wife, both knew the reason uh, for uh, this, uh, why the Lord sought uh, to kill him. And so the wife, Zipporah, immediately uh, takes up a, a sharp stone and performs that rite of circumcision uh, on her second son. Her second son hadn't been circumcised. Why is that so important? 
Well, God was about to fulfill his covenant arrangement with uh, Moses. The one, the, what's, the covenant arrangement, rather, he'd made with Abraham. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. And uh, Genesis 17, verse 14, uh, the Lord said to Abraham, the person who failed to circumcise uh, his male children was to be cut off. Now, Moses is uh, going to be not just the leader in Israel, he's going to be the lawgiver. And he's got to be one who is seen to be keeping the law. He cannot, the leader cannot be one who is seen to be breaking the law. And so uh, he, uh, the Lord, as it were, sought to kill him. Uh, why, did, why didn't he circumcise his second son? It seems like he circumcised his first son. Well, again, according, going by the text, it appears that he did it really to please uh, his wife, Zipporah. Zipporah wasn't happy to see the, the, the pain and uh, the way in which the first son was uh, circumcised. And she was opposed uh, to the second, the second circumcision. And uh, Moses listened to her. Moses uh, followed uh, what uh, she wanted her, uh, her, to, uh, her to do. So Moses, uh, here, uh, the Lord deals with him because, well, he's got to set his own house in order uh, before he starts serving uh, the Lord. And the same could be said about us. Well, verse uh, 27, the word of the Lord, uh, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness uh, to meet uh, Moses. And he went and met him the Mount of God, they embrace, they kiss, and uh, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which who had sent him, and all the signs uh, which he had uh, commanded him. And then they went to the elders of Israel, spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, verse 30, did the signs in the sight of the people, and then verse 31, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Our oh, friends, in closing, uh, we are called uh, as God's people to serve the Lord. We're called by the Lord himself uh, to serve. And he assures us that he will be uh, with us in this task. Yes, the task is hard. Yes, there are difficulties. Uh, nothing. We don't have immediate success and immediate rewards as we wish. And we have to slog away at it also but we have his promise that he will be with us and we have his promise that he will make up for our inadequacies and our insufficiencies and our weaknesses and our lack that we feel in our in ourselves that he will use us to accomplish uh, his mighty purposes he gives us the encouragement of fellow laborers we're not alone moses had aaron and the lord gives us aaron's who will go along with us and uh, work, uh, do the Lord's work. So friends, let us not shrink from serving him, but put forth our hand uh, to the work, to the plow. What do you have in your hand? The Lord said to Moses in verse 2. Well, uh, he had just that shepherd's crook, and uh, that's all he had. What do you have in your hand? What gifts do you have? What talents do you have? What contributions can you make out of what God has given you? God doesn't ask for what you don't have. What do you have which you can use for the Lord and for his glory? Well, may the Lord bless and help us to do that. Amen.